Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, the 616th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do that for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And by doing so, you will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you don't want to, just keep listening to it for free a couple days later on a variety of other platforms. And all I ask is that you please share it with your friends. Yesterday, we discussed what looks like an attack on the Nord Stream pipelines that carry natural gas from Russia to Germany. Nord Stream 2 was supposed to open and begin pumping gas to supply parts of Europe with energy resources. The leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines come just on the heels of the opening of the Baltic pipe that's going to take 
natural gas from Norway through Denmark and down into Poland, and they almost cross there in the Baltic Sea. Now, some of the Western media and our intelligence agencies and parts of the global communist establishment rushed to blame Russia for blowing up its own pipes because Russia apparently decided that they no longer wanted to make tons and tons of money by supplying Europe with energy that is produced from Russia's overwhelming abundance of natural resources. They tried to claim that this was some bold move by Russia to sabotage their own pipes and make it look like someone else did it. But in reality, Russia already had that leverage over the European energy market because they were the ones supplying the resource and they could have simply turned the pipe off if they wanted to hold European nations hostage. Now, the reason they might want to do that is because European nations continued to back and support Ukraine, whatever Ukraine is, in their efforts to continue waging the ethnic civil war in the Donbass. And then once Russia came in to defend those regions, the European nations began supporting what we have been calling the war in Ukraine. We talked about how, for all intents and purposes, Russia has already won that war. They've gotten two extra regions that they weren't even planning on. They went in to protect the ethnic Russians in Donetsk and Luhansk, and they ended up doing that and not only taking those regions as part of Russia, but also Zaporozhye and Kherson, and of course, they already had Crimea. Those objectives now have been completed. The people of those regions voted in a referendum overwhelmingly to join Russia. So despite what the Western media is saying, Russia has already accomplished that goal. That whole eastern part of Ukraine is now just Russia. They've decimated the Ukrainian military, whatever that was, some disorganized coalition of Ukrainian Nazi battalions with conscripted citizens who the comedic actor just handed out guns to, apparently. And of course, the foreign contractors and foreign mercenaries. That army's been consistently decimated. The media is portraying that Russia is having some sort of draft and that thousands of Russian men are fleeing the country because they don't want to support Putin's war of aggression, his unprecedented invasion in Ukraine. Except that's not true. Russia's just calling up reservists to active duty within Russia and in support of Russia's professional soldiers who are doing the fighting in Ukraine. Pictures coming out of Russia had thousands and thousands of young men lined up, ready to go serve their country. It's not a draft. Russian men aren't generally fleeing. They are going to serve. And it isn't happening because Russia's getting destroyed. It's happening because Russia is under continued threat from the global communist empire and evil twin factions in nations like ours and in the UK and in other European nations that continue sending money, continue sending arms and continue saber rattling. So Ukraine doesn't really have a military now. 
Ukraine has lost that eastern portion of the country where a lot of the nation's productivity comes from. So they don't have that anymore. They have a puppet for a president, the comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky. And he's certainly not making decisions on behalf of Ukrainian citizens. He is executing an agenda that comes from much higher up. He was placed in his position through election fraud and through a ridiculous campaign that started with him playing a president on TV and then his production company turning into his campaign, all of it financed by a man named Ihor Kolomoisky, who's a Ukrainian oligarch and also holds passports in Cyprus and Israel. Ukraine has not been fighting this war with Ukrainian arms. The fake administration has been sending weapons and billions and billions of dollars over to Ukraine, where 70% of all that just disappears. And the weapons end up on the black market. They end up in the hands of other allied evil twin factions around Europe. And that allows them to continue whatever this war effort is. The Ukrainian army has been guided by U.S. and U.K. intelligence, and they are executing someone else's plan. So Ukraine doesn't have a real president. They don't have a real army. They're not using their intelligence. They're not executing their plan. And they've lost the productive part of their country to Russia already. Now, the media isn't going to tell anyone any of this, but certainly the leaders of nations know and intel communities know there is a huge and widening gap between the reality on the ground there and what the global state propaganda media is telling the citizens of the Western Hemisphere. And of course, all of this is necessary for them, because if they were to talk about the reality on the ground, no one would continue supporting this. And it turns out that even with all of their propaganda efforts, fewer and fewer people are supporting it. Twitter still supports it. Joe Biden's fake administration still supports it. The Democrat Communist Party and many complicit Republican communists still support it because they like war. And they like the global order. The global order is what has made them powerful and rich. And of course, these people have absolutely no principles and don't care at all about representing their constituents. So they're happy to go along with all of this. So, of course, pinning something like this on Russia would be a boon for them. This would be the sort of thing that they could tell the world, look how evil Russia is. Russia's trying to make Europeans freeze this winter. Now, if you recall, when this whole conflict started, the United States and Europe tried to impose sanctions on Russia to destroy their currency, which would actually harm Russian citizens. Economic warfare doesn't hurt the rich people in Russia. It doesn't hurt the oligarchs, but it destroys average people. So the West made the choice to destroy average Russians in an attempt to get Putin to stop doing the thing they don't want him to do. For the West, it was not Vladimir Putin needs to stop this or he will be destroyed. It's Vladimir Putin needs to stop this or we will destroy Vladimir Putin's citizens through economic sanctions. And they tried and they failed. 
But beyond that, the point is, it's reasonable for a country who's supplying other countries with crucial resources to leverage the supply of those resources in an attempt to get those countries to stop supporting a war against the country supplying the resources. That's kind of one of the problems with war and why you're not supposed to just go starting them all over the place. So on one hand, we have Vladimir Putin threatening to cut off the supply of resources. And on the other hand, the people who are fighting Vladimir Putin went and imposed sanctions to destroy the Russian economy and harm the Russian people. One is a threatened action and something very real. The other one was actually carried out with the express intent of destroying the Russian economy. So those are not equivalents. But the media expects that you'll look at that situation and determine that Russia is actually the bad guy there because they continue to say that Russia is the bad guy there. You're not supposed to think about this for yourself. And if you believe all of that, if you still have your little blue and yellow Nazi flag in your Twitter profile, you'll go along with all of it. And you will think that Russia sabotaged its own pipe, even though the enemy's pipe was right in the same region, because Vladimir Putin is just so mean and crazy that he'll do just about anything. But their story ran into a problem because people started suggesting that perhaps the U.S. had done this, that the global communists had done this. And before you know it, a Polish member of the European Parliament was tweeting out his thanks to the U.S. for sabotaging these pipelines. And I didn't realize this yesterday, but Tucker mentioned it on his show last night. Radek Sikorsky, that member of parliament, is actually married to the lunatic Russophobe named Anne Applebaum, who writes for our most elite publications like The Atlantic. And then people dug up clips that I played yesterday, Victoria Newland and Joe Biden talking last winter about how if Russia invaded Ukraine, they would find a way to shut down and stop. Nord Stream 2. And I discussed yesterday how this was the most realistic scenario as far as I could tell. Biden and Newland threatened to blow up that pipe. So we know that was on their minds. A few weeks ago, the CIA warned about a possible attack on the pipelines in the Baltic Sea. It's amazing how they always know stuff is going to happen right before they do it. <laughs> And it makes sense that they would do it because the evil twin faction of the United States, as represented by the illegitimate administration in coordination with their counterparts in Europe, with the global communist order and their governing bodies, well, they all stand to benefit from this. The United States would be happy to step in and supply all of the resources that they are now missing. And it allows the United States to take the leverage Russia had over those resources and put it in their own hands. Now they have the leverage. They get to set the price. And part of that price would be the continued support for the anti-Russian efforts in Ukraine. Now, Donald Trump remains pretty quiet on all of this 
through the end of the day yesterday. But this morning, he came out with a couple of really interesting posts on Truth Social. The first was this. Everyone is talking about the big hurricane barreling into Florida, as they should be. But perhaps a far more important event in the longer term was the announcement that the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines out of Russia, which I brought to the world's attention as president when I explained how crippling reliance on it could be for Germany and other parts of Europe, everybody laughed at the time, but they are not laughing anymore, has been sabotaged. This could lead to major escalation or war. And then he soon after followed up with this. U.S. quote unquote leadership should remain cool, calm and dry on the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. This is a big event that should not entail a big solution, at least not yet. The Russia-Ukraine catastrophe should never have happened and would definitely not have happened if I were president. Do not make matters worse with the pipeline blow up. Be strategic, be smart, brilliant. Get a negotiated deal done now. Both sides need and want it. The entire world is at stake. I will head up group. And he put three question marks after I will head up group. Then he retruthed a whole bunch of Q related memes, which has the media going absolutely insane and which I'll maybe touch on later. But he then dropped one more message about the situation with the pipelines when he retruthed the video of Joe Biden talking about how he would find a way to stop Nord Stream 2. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But, do, but how will you how will you do that? Exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will. Uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. His caption in that post was. Wow, what a statement. World War Three, anyone? So Trump has been talking about the escalation into a potential World War Three for quite a long time, not just about the Russia-Ukraine situation, but also previewing the China-Taiwan situation. And the situations have been escalating. The talk of the use of nuclear weapons has been increasing on both sides, generated first by the West and responded to by Vladimir Putin. And that can be expected if someone threatens potential nuclear strikes and begins seeding the narrative for nuclear strikes. That's the sort of thing that has to be responded to, particularly when we've seen the history of the Western media in the last seven months in Ukraine, where they continue to generate stories about potential false flag attacks and potential nuclear disasters. You'll remember that they've been shelling the nuclear power plant in Zaporozhye for months. And it's good to name and take note of what's actually happening here. We have the UN and its allies in the West, the United States, the UK, Germany, NATO, and much of the EU supporting a situation 
that they simply should not be supporting. They continue to fund and arm the effort, and they don't seem like they care whether or not this ends up in World War III. In fact, it's seeming more and more every day like that's exactly what they want. And that should be assumed to be true because there's not a moment through this entire period where they have been honest about what's happening on the ground, whose motivations are driving what, or what their intentions are. It's clear that no one at this point is still talking about Ukraine's sovereign borders. So to some extent, it doesn't really matter exactly who sabotaged the pipeline. Maybe it was the CIA. Maybe it was some part of U.S. military. That is highly doubtful as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it was Germany. Maybe it's whatever we're still referring to as Ukraine. But Ukraine kind of doesn't even exist in an important sense. And then there are some who suggest that maybe it was China in order to pit the West and Russia against one another and escalate the situation into a war that China can then take advantage of. And in a different era, that might be a really smart interpretation. I don't think it's accurate here, although obviously I don't know. China and Russia certainly seem to be pretty close allies and pretty closely aligned on just about everything that's been happening in the last couple of years. So the idea that China would intentionally escalate this situation seems a little bit ridiculous to me. That's kind of an anachronistic picture of where China and Russia currently stand and how war is being waged in this day and age. But maybe I'm wrong. Regardless, I think we can leave China aside. That seems like a pretty low probability situation as far as I'm concerned. So what matters is, was this Russia? And it doesn't seem like it was. It just doesn't seem like they'd have the motivation. And even if we could theorize a motivation, it doesn't seem like this would be the best possible way to accomplish the goals that we're theorizing. Because Russia already had the leverage. And there's also been a rising resistance in Europe to the effort in Ukraine. The European people who are faced with a very cold winter do not want their governments to continue putting their well-being under direct threat to keep this totally illegitimate war effort going. The people of the world are seeing through all of this. So if Russia didn't do it, then it doesn't particularly matter which aspect of that global communist order and the evil twin factions that support it carried out the sabotage. They're all aligned. So assuming that some element planned it, some element executed it, and clearly some elements of that coalition stand to benefit. In some way, they can all be held responsible and figuring out exactly who did it is far less relevant than understanding why it was done and who it was done by generally in terms of the coalition. And Donald Trump seems to be reaffirming that with the repost of that Biden video. We know that Russia has been willing to negotiate so long as their terms are met throughout this entire period. Vladimir Putin laid out his terms back at the beginning of the conflict. And those have always been his terms. They didn't come to the negotiating table and agree to his terms 
So Russia went and achieved their objectives anyhow. And now the people on the other side of the table trying to negotiate with Vladimir Putin are in an even weaker position than they were before. It makes sense that they would try to steal back some of their leverage. Now, there have been hints over the last few months that the comedic actor in Ukraine was willing to negotiate. That's one of those stories that keeps popping up and going away. And then he keeps making very forceful statements, often in English for the Western audience, about how the brave Ukrainians will never quit defending their country from this Russian aggressor. And here we are seven months later with overwhelming death and destruction that was entirely unnecessary. None of the West's goals being met aside from creating this conflict and the money laundering and the arms dealing that goes alongside it, while nearly all of Vladimir Putin's objectives have been met. And now we're at a stage of intense escalation. So Donald Trump steps in to potentially negotiate the peaceful outcome here. And he's communicating this in public, which means that even much of the mainstream American audience will understand that he has done this. Now, the communists out there with their little tiny child brains will scoff at this and say, oh, that's the last thing we need. Oh, Donald Trump is just stepping in to help Russia as they're being destroyed on the battlefield. But you have to remember, these people don't know anything and their words have no weight. It's only important that they believe what they're being told so the people telling them all this stuff can continue what they're doing under the guise of having the support of at least some of the people. But despite that, Donald Trump as peacemaker is still an emerging narrative that they're going to have to contend with. Newsweek covered this this morning in an article titled Trump Volunteers to Lead Negotiations with Putin. And a lot of it is just restating information we've gone through. So I'll just read the last few paragraphs. The apparent sabotage of the pipeline, which provides fossil fuels critical for Eastern European countries to meet their energy demands, was seen as some as an apparent threat by the Kremlin to cripple the economies of Ukrainian allies like Germany into alleviating economic sanctions that have served to stall the Russian war effort. Now, that paragraph is entirely untrue. It's funny that they note that these are fossil fuels, you know, the very, very bad kind. But this is a threat by the Kremlin, an actual sabotage against Russia's own natural gas pipeline to Germany is a threat by the Kremlin to cripple the economies of Ukrainian allies like Germany? Well, that doesn't make sense. And it's also not a threat. Russia now doesn't have the ability to control whether or not gas goes through Nord Stream 2 from Russia to Germany because the pipeline has been sabotaged and apparently cannot come back online anytime soon. So if anyone is to believe that Russia actually did this, I think that they probably deserve a better explanation than this is a threat. It's not a threat. Something actually happened. On Tuesday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told reporters the leaks in the line, which investigators say resulted from a series of explosions, would, quote, not have a significant impact on 
Europe's energy resilience, end quote. And that's very interesting because if what he's saying is true, that means they believe the United States believes the fake administration believes that they're going to be able to supplement all of that energy that Russia was sending down. And the funny thing is how bad these people are at communicating and how bad they are at thinking through what it is they're actually communicating. So he is essentially eradicating the threat narrative or the Russia did it narrative by saying that what Russia did isn't even going to work. We've got plenty of gas we can give Europe. Those stupid Russians messed up again. How could they be so clueless as to not know we could still supply Europe with this energy? He's basically saying, oh man, I can't believe Russia did that. But don't worry, we have plenty of energy to give you. And of course, I mean, we're going to sell it to you. And part of that price is that you have to keep supporting us in the Ukraine war. But we're more than happy to give you the energy. He noted the United States aspirations to end Europe's dependence on Russian energy and accelerate the transition to renewable fuel sources as a means to reduce the region's exposure to Russian influence. And that's weird. I thought that they were transitioning to renewables in order to save the planet from the sun. I didn't realize that it was just to reduce Russia's influence on Europe, Russia's leverage on Europe. Oh, so so that's the goal. It's to reduce Russia's leverage on Europe. I mean, Lloyd Austin, the fake administration's secretary of defense, said that the goal in Ukraine was to weaken Russia's military. But I thought the goal in Ukraine was to preserve Ukraine's sovereign borders. It's so strange how there's always some other motivation underneath all of these policies, and it's always to weaken Russia. I don't remember Joe Biden campaigning on that, and I don't remember any Americans voting for it. But then again, Americans didn't actually vote for Joe Biden to be president in the first place. In recent weeks, the European Union and the United States have sought to impose price caps on Russian oil in an effort to help those countries meet energy demands entering the colder months while limiting the country's ability to sustainably profit from its sale. A strategic boondoggle for EU member nations caught between desires for a quick end to the war and the need to keep its economy moving. And again, that is an absurdist framing of what's happening there. EU member nations could easily help bring an end to the war by simply no longer supporting the war. And they could keep their economy moving by no longer supporting the war and relying as they were before on Russian energy. The reason this is all a problem is because of what NATO and the US and the UK and Germany have done in Ukraine. They could have simply met Putin's terms back in February and we wouldn't be here right now. But of course, they miscalculated. European nations are in fact reliant on Russian energy resources and they were enriching Russia throughout this process because of that. So they wanted to put on price caps and influence the energy market. They were willing to manipulate the energy market just to keep their illegitimate war efforts going in Ukraine while blaming Russia for manipulating the energy market after having already imposed economic sanctions on Russia. These people have no moral or intellectual standing at all. 
Prior to the war, Russia's Natural Resources and Environment Ministry estimated the country's collective energy resources accounted for approximately 60% of its annual gross domestic product and 39% of its overall revenues, according to numbers compiled by Russian economist Igor Makarov. July estimates from the International Monetary Fund pegged EU member nations' reliance on Russian fossil fuel exports to meet energy demands anywhere between 20 and upwards of 40%. In Germany alone, a complete shutoff, the IMF reported, could lead to gas shortages of 9% in the second half of 2022 alone, escalating to 10% in 2023. Whether Trump, if he were invited to broker peace talks, would be successful in doing so is another issue. While Trump and his supporters have said they believed Putin never would have invaded Ukraine if he were still president, Trump once described Putin's invasion of the country as genius, adding the United States should use a similar approach to dealing with influxes of migrants on the southern border with Mexico. And that is about as dumb as you could ever describe that situation. Newsweek occasionally has good editorial and opinion writers, but good Lord, their journalism is absolutely awful. Trump has regularly pushed for the leaders of the two countries to meet and hash out their differences, telling Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in 2019 that he hoped he and Putin could get together and solve your problem. A clip of that statement gained significant traction on social media shortly after Putin invaded Ukraine. And you might remember that clip. Zelensky is sitting there looking like, what is this guy talking about? And of course, the mainstream media ran with that to try to make Donald Trump look very stupid. Of course, the comedic actor knows exactly what's going on, and he can't believe he's dealing with this dumb Neanderthal next to him, this crazy orange man who doesn't know anything. Because everybody knows that once the adults are back in the room, everything is going to be just fine. No one needs to pretend this crazy Donald Trump knows what's up. But Donald Trump did know what's up, and he did know what Volodymyr Zelensky's actual problem was. It wasn't Vladimir Putin. It was the global communists who run the show over there. Notably, that same year, Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives after a whistleblower described a telephone call where he was overheard pressuring Zelensky to look into debunked claims about the 2016 U.S. presidential election in exchange for $400 million in military aid to confront Russian-backed separatists in the country. Some believe the separatists were installed there to create a pretext for the invasion. How about that? That is just some ridiculous conspiracy theorizing, totally detached from reality. Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives in what history will record as the second most ridiculous impeachment of all time. The first being the fake impeachment, trying to make it so that Donald Trump could never run for president again after the very violent insurrection. The whistleblower was originally thought to be the fake president's spokesman for the Department of State, Ned Price, but was actually Alexander Vindman. And the call that they're referring to was the one that Adam Schiff stood up in Congress in the impeachment hearings and read a false transcript of. The real transcript was eventually released, and it proved that there was no quid pro quo. The other funny thing about that whole fake impeachment was that what was being investigated in Ukraine 
was Joe Biden's corruption. There was proof of Joe Biden's corruption on Hunter Biden's laptop, which was already in possession of the FBI when the Ukraine impeachment hoax was carried out. There was exculpatory evidence that would have proved Donald Trump did nothing wrong and the FBI had it and everyone ignored it. And Russian-backed separatists, who are they talking about? The people in the Donbass who were defending themselves from an ethnic civil war being waged by Ukraine and the global communists with their Ukrainian Nazi battalions? Got it. It's amazing, isn't it, how the mainstream media can take Donald Trump's offer of being the peace negotiator between Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky and turn it into a ridiculous notion because actually all of this stuff is Donald Trump's fault. Now, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs weighed in on this yesterday. In a post on social media, they said, U.S. President Joe Biden must answer whether the United States acted on its threat on September 25th and 26th, 2022, when an incident occurred on three branches of Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, preliminarily qualified as pipeline ruptures, possibly as a result of explosions. The statement of intent was backed with a pledge. One must take responsibility for one's words. Failing to understand the meaning of what one is saying does not release one from liability. Europe must know the truth. And that was in response to the same Biden video. Now, the Russians also released a statement from their Ministry of Foreign Affairs on the referendums in those Ukrainian regions that are now, for all intents and purposes, part of Russia. On September 23rd through 27th, the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, Kherson and Zaporozhye regions held referendums on their accession to the Russian Federation. The results of the voting have been tabulated with the overwhelming majority of voters supporting unification with Russia. 99.23% in the DPR, 98.42% in the LPR. And DPR and LPR are Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. 93.11% in the Zaporozhye region and 87.05% in the Kherson region. The turnout was as follows. 97.5% in the DPR, 92.6% in the LPR, 85.4% in Zaporozhye and 96.7% in Kherson. So in all four regions where referendums were held, most of the country voted far more than vote in American elections and many of the European election results we've seen recently. And of course, it's hard to actually take those numbers seriously because the voter registries are expanded beyond belief with false registrations. But that's a huge portion of each region showing up to vote and the lowest approval rating was 87%, 99% in Donetsk, 98 plus percent in Luhansk. That's incredible. But let's go on with the statement. Despite the provocations of the Kiev regime that gave criminal orders to massively shell areas where civilians gather and civilian facilities, people were not afraid to come to the polls and express their will. The results speak for themselves. The residents of Donbass, as well as the Kherson and Zaporozhye regions, do not want to return to their former life. They have made a conscious and free choice in favor of Russia. 
In fact, they had no alternative left. Far from all people in Ukraine acquiesced and accepted the coup in Kiev in February 2014 that brought to power radical nationalist forces that unleashed a bloody fight against those that would not accept it in the southeast of the country. The signing of the Minsk agreements approved by a U.N. Security Council resolution did not rescue the situation. As Ukrainian representatives are cynically saying now, Ukraine was never going to honor them from the very start and was preparing for war. For eight years, the population of Donbass was subject to persistent and cynical attempts to destroy them. The decision of the residents of Donbass, the Kherson and Zaporozhye regions to seek protection from Russia was a natural result of the inhumane policy pursued by the Kiev regime. The referendums took place in full conformity with the standards and principles of international law. The people of Donbass and the south of Ukraine exercised their lawful right to self-determination in accordance with the UN Charter, the 1966 International Human Rights Covenants, the 1975 OCSE Helsinki Final Act, and the verdict of the UN International Court of Justice on Kosovo on July 22, 2010. The latter confirmed that the unilateral proclamation of independence by a part of a state does not violate any norms of international law. International observers from Italy, Germany, Venezuela, Latvia, and other countries, overall 133 people, monitored the course of the referendums and recognized them as legitimate. We are grateful to foreign experts, bloggers, journalists, and representatives of public organizations for their courage, integrity, and objectivity. In the near future, we will enter a critical stage in our joint efforts to translate into life the desire of the residents of the DPR, LPR, and the Zaporozhye and Kherson regions to be together with Russia. So that's the view from reality. Russia has its motivations, its goals. Those are now aligned with the people of these regions of eastern Ukraine that are now going to be part of Russia. Those views are aligned with Russia's allies like China and India and Brazil and Saudi Arabia and progressively more nations as we go along, even with what is emerging as an anti-globalist voting bloc in the UN and their motivation to end this conflict in Ukraine is a shared motivation with most people in Europe, even people who supported the Ukraine effort at the beginning. They are staring at a very, very cold winter and their energy prices are already out of hand. They may not be in support of Vladimir Putin or of Russia. They may in some sense support Ukraine, but what they support the most is being warm and not going broke. And in opposition to that, what do we have? What is the other side? Well, it's the EU, it's NATO, it's the UN, it's the United States and Germany and the UK and other European nations that are still supporting this conflict in Ukraine. And they're all doing so to support the global communist order that they call, in their words, the liberal world order. And all of its corruption, particularly in Ukraine, which is just and has always been a proxy state for the global order. So while all of this is being painted as Trump suggesting that he would be the negotiator between Putin and Zelensky, those aren't the two real sides of the negotiation. It's 
a block of sovereigntists and nationalists and the people against the global communists and the elitists and the media who support them. And this is exactly why the good twin, evil twin paradigm is more functional and more useful than trying to consider that Russia's doing this or China's doing this or Ukraine's doing this or the U.S. is doing this. Trump would be negotiating between the decentralized block of sovereigntists and nationalists that represent the global good twin against the global evil twin and the global communist one world agenda they support. The entire world being made the same and being governed by centralized global bodies. It is decentralization versus centralization. Good twin versus evil twin. Sovereign nationalism versus communism. That's the real negotiation that Trump would be attempting to lead. And I would be awfully surprised if both sides don't already understand that and don't already understand the terms. And so when I look at this from a big picture perspective, the situation looks as it has always looked. The sovereign nationalists around the world are destroying the global communist order and the global communist order is responding and trying to create as much chaos and destruction and suffering as possible in an attempt to get the sovereign nationalist leaders of the world to simply stop pushing for the freedom of their own citizens. And that may sound harsh and one-sided, like that's not what's really going on. But it is what's going on, and we all witnessed a big part of that with COVID and the response to COVID. We saw who lined up behind the whole program, behind the WHO's recommendations, the people that listened to all of the ridiculous studies out of places like Imperial College London, that overestimated the deadliness of the pandemic, the seriousness of the pandemic, the people who covered up the origins of the pandemic, the people who enforced masking and social distancing and the closure of schools and businesses, the people who pushed a deadly hospital protocol of remdesivir and a ventilator, the people who pushed the totally illegitimate testing regime that made people test everywhere, that tried to limit their movement and their ability to gather, the people who closed churches, the people who mandated and coerced the joining of a dangerous and deadly medical experiment under the guise of it being a vaccine that would end the pandemic, the people who have covered up election fraud, the people who pushed the very violent insurrection narrative. These are all the exact same people who have been supporting what we are calling the war in Ukraine. That is the real negotiation because that is the real conflict. Now, I suppose it's possible that Donald Trump could negotiate his way into Volodymyr Zelensky coming out and making a statement about how Ukraine is no longer going to fight Russia and that they are going to cede those regions to Russia as part of a settlement to end the conflict and then allow that to play out in the narrative around the world. It would be considerably harder for the global communists to continue their efforts in Ukraine without the face of those efforts, the comedic actor in Ukraine, still being on board. Because even for the child brains around the world that think Volodymyr Zelensky is a hero and very powerful, and an eminently 
incompetent military leader, Zelensky openly backing down and saying that they have reached a peace deal would end that entire narrative immediately. And at that point, it's entirely possible that they will create another conflict elsewhere, whether it's China and Taiwan, something in Iran, something in North Korea, potentially even something in Israel. They have options. They have ways that they can move that conflict to somewhere else under similar justifications. And maybe that will be their new project. That'll be their next step. Now, the hope would be that Trump could negotiate them out of their entire effort and they would simply stop. And these international organizations would be torn down. Election fraud would be solved around the world. But I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we're probably going to have to go through more of these situations around the world over the next months and maybe the next couple of years. But the effectiveness of each of these moves for the global communists will continue to diminish because people are waking up to all of this. People are seeing the structure and the form of all of this. And they're understanding that all of it is part of one massive lie. It's a trick being played on the people of the world by the global communists and complicit media organizations. With the complicity of the big tech companies, the corporations, the military industrial complex, and most of the world's elites and the quote unquote educational institutions that support them and provide all of the very important science and all of the studies that always say, oh, yes, their plans are going to work this time. Are they going to be able to make Taiwan the sympathetic figure they turned Ukraine into, despite Ukraine being one of the most corrupt places on earth? Are they going to be able to convince the people that they should go along with a war effort in Taiwan to fight against China? That's pretty doubtful. And it's interesting. It's always important to note and to remember that George Soros in the last few years has called Vladimir Putin the most dangerous man on earth. He's called Donald Trump the most dangerous man on earth. And he's called Xi Jinping the most dangerous man on earth. And there's probably worse things to be called than the most dangerous man on earth when the person calling you the most dangerous man on earth spent his youth helping to collect his neighbors and put them onto Nazi trains. And that is exactly what George Soros did. And he admits to it. If you've come to this show recently, or you have come to the broader truth movement recently, then you may not be aware, but George Soros actually sat down for an interview with 60 Minutes and admitted to all of that. And it's on video. You can find it pretty easily. You can find it on YouTube, but you can also find it in the information stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Just use the search feature and type in Soros 60 Minutes. Now, I mentioned earlier that Donald Trump has been consistently for the last few weeks retruthing posts that are directly related to Q. And if you are still scared of the QAnon boogeyman at this point, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have to figure out your own way to let that go. That doesn't mean you have to fully buy in and believe it. And I understand a lot of people won't because 
you've been convinced that there's something dangerous about it. Like you're going to read these little pieces of information and all of a sudden become a crazy person. But that's actually not how it works. You can just read the information and think about it and see what it means. See if it maps onto reality. See if you find it useful. See if you find it effective in increasing your understanding of the world and how it really works and current events and political corruption. But regardless of your opinion on Q or what it might ultimately prove to be, Donald Trump has still been publicizing it pretty regularly over the last three or four weeks. Now, maybe he's just trying to co-opt it because some portion of that information operation is effective and useful to Donald Trump in completing his short-term goals or as part of some bigger agenda. But he is still calling attention to it, and that is undeniable. He retruthed a picture of himself a couple of weeks ago with a Q pin on his lapel. At his last couple of rallies, the end portion of his speech has been given with music playing under it, a song called Where We Go One, We Go All. And in response, a bunch of people in the crowd have been raising one finger. Now, Where We Go One, We Go All is a refrain from a movie called White Squall. That's basically about a bunch of brave young sailors weathering a storm. Very, very dangerous stuff. Very conspiratorial stuff. How could they do that? How could they put up one finger? Hillary Clinton was out there suggesting at some fake event for some fake media outlet called the Texas Tribune last weekend. She was comparing it to the uh, Heil Hitler gesture because somehow saying where we go one, we go all is equivalent to saying Heil Hitler, a bunch of nice middle and lower middle class Americans whose lives are being destroyed by the communist regime, raising one finger in unity with the cause is the same as supporting Nazism. And Hillary Clinton, by the way, cannot be separated from George Soros. They're basically the same entity. Hillary Clinton even has George Soros's eye bags. She might as well be his daughter or something. But the claim that we're all Nazis coming from someone who aligns herself and has aligned herself throughout her career with a dude who helped put his neighbors on Nazi trains is a little silly. And the media doesn't really know how to handle this. They tried the whole Nazi salute thing, just like Hillary tried. No one's really buying that. I'm sure that there are some people with blue and yellow flags in their Twitter bios who are all about it. But for the most part, no one's buying it. Cash Patel is out there openly discussing Q now. Donald Trump continues to point to it and did with a bunch of posts today. Some of them saying things like nothing can stop what's coming. And at some point, the media is just going to have to relent. They can't keep telling the same story about Q and QAnon while the reality continues to evolve and becomes more obvious to everyone. QAnon is not the scary boogeyman they made it out to be. It's just information among other information. 
But that boogeyman is the representation of their hate movement. And without that boogeyman, the hate movement can't really continue. Once people find out that QAnon is just a fake construct that they've made up to be the boogeyman and that Q itself is not dangerous at all, it's just information, then they're not able to continue to pin every single dissenting view on QAnon. They can't say this evil thing is actually the accumulation of all of this disinformation that everyone's being told. All of those conspiracy theorists, they just believe all this disinformation and they go and join QAnon. They become dangerous themselves. Everyone is a domestic terrorist. Everyone is a white supremacist. Everyone is a science denier and a vaccine denier and a climate denier. And once that thing melts away, what do they have left? They actually have to argue on the issues, knowing that everyone on their side of the argument is absolutely clueless about every one of these issues because they've all just accepted and embodied the propaganda campaign. Well, that's not going to work. And Donald Trump knows this. And Vladimir Putin knows it. And Xi Jinping knows it. And Bolsonaro knows it. And Modi knows it. And Mohammed bin Salman knows it. And Viktor Orban knows it. They're not all child-brained victims of the propaganda campaign. But the key thing to remember is neither are the leaders on the global communist side of things. They know what's really going on. They just think the citizens of the world are too dumb and too weak to do anything about it. So they just keep trying to override the truth consistently. They stick to their story. It's a lie and deny policy. But all of it is coming to an end. Russia has called a meeting of the U.N. Security Council this Friday, and they're going to lay out the evidence they have about what's happened to these pipelines and what then. It is falling apart for the global communists on each and every level. And the last of those levels are the QAnon thing and the Donald Trump thing. The QAnon thing is collapsing. And if Donald Trump is somehow able to step in and negotiate the end to this conflict, the Donald Trump hatred is going to go away too. And then they have absolutely nothing left. And this isn't some random occurrence. This is the end of a process intended to create these particular results. The people of the world have awakened to the truth and the number of people awakened grows every single day. There's no turning that around. People aren't just going to fall back to sleep and start believing the television again. And at some point, even some of the most serious Trump haters are going to have to admit that life was better under Donald Trump and Donald Trump actually is working to serve the interests of the American people and the people of the world. And so are these other leaders. All of this has always been inevitable because when the truth spreads to this point, it can't stop spreading. And the truth, it turns out, is the ultimate leverage. Donald Trump also retruth a video this morning from YouTube a video that was posted by Q on September 28th of 2020. So in Q parlance, that is a two-year delta. The same date, two years later, Q posted it back then. Donald Trump has retruthed it today. And it's a powerful video. You may have seen it before. 
but I'm certain I've never played it on this podcast. So in case you haven't, I'm going to play the audio from it right now and end the show with it because it's worth everyone hearing. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment with a new government controlled by you, the American people. The Washington establishment and the financial and media corporations that fund it exist for only one reason, to protect and enrich itself. The establishment has trillions of dollars at stake in this election. For those who control the levers of power in Washington and for the global special interest, they partner with these people that don't have your good in mind. Our campaign represents a true existential threat like they haven't seen before. This is not simply another four-year election. This is a crossroads in the history of our civilization that will determine whether or not we, the people, reclaim control over our government. The political establishment that is trying to stop us is the same group responsible for our disastrous trade deals, massive illegal immigration, and economic and foreign policies that have bled our country dry. The political establishment has brought about the destruction of our factories and our jobs as they flee to Mexico, China, and other countries all around the world. It's a global power structure that is responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed our working class, stripped our country of its wealth, and put that money into the pockets of a handful of large corporations and political entities. This is a struggle for the survival of our nation. And this will be our last chance to save it. This election will determine whether we're a free nation or whether we have only the illusion of democracy, but are in fact controlled by a small handful of global special interests rigging the system, and our system is rigged. This is reality. You know it, they know it, I know it, and pretty much the whole world knows it. The Clinton machine is at the center of this power structure. We've seen this firsthand in the WikiLeaks documents in which Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends, and her donors. Honestly, she should be locked up. The most powerful weapon deployed by the Clintons is the corporate media, the press. Let's be clear on one thing. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. They're a political special interest, no different than any lobbyist or other financial entity with a total political agenda. And the agenda is not for you, it's for themselves. Anyone who challenges their control is deemed a sexist, a racist, a xenophobe. They will lie, 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 and then again, they will do worse than that. They will do whatever is necessary. The Clintons are criminals, remember that. This is well documented, and the establishment that protects them has engaged 
in a massive cover-up of widespread criminal activity at the State Department and the Clinton Foundation in order to keep the Clintons in power. They knew they would throw every lie they could at me and my family and my loved ones. They knew they would stop at nothing to try to stop me. Nevertheless, I take all of these slings and arrows gladly for you. I take them for our movement so that we can have our country back. I knew this day would arrive. It's only a question of when. And I knew the American people would rise above it and vote for the future they deserve. The only thing that can stop this corrupt machine is you. The only force strong enough to save our country is us. The only people brave enough to vote out this corrupt establishment is you, the American people. Our great civilization has come upon a moment of reckoning. I didn't need to do this, folks, believe me. I built a great company and I had a wonderful life. I could have enjoyed the fruits and benefits of years of successful business deals and businesses for myself and my family, instead of going through this absolute horror show of lies, deceptions, malicious attacks. Who would have thought? I'm doing it because this country has given me so much, and I feel so strongly that it's my turn to give back to the country that I love. I'm doing this for the people and for the movement and we will take back this country for you and we will make America great again. So that's from 2016 and it's called This Video Will Get Trump Elected President. And Trump posted that this morning, a perfect two-year delta with the Q post from September 28th, 2020. So say whatever you want about Q. Honestly, believe whatever you want. Hey, maybe you'll turn out to be right. You've been wrong a lot. If you bought into COVID or you were never Trump or you think QAnon is actually scary and dangerous, but it's all right to be wrong again. I know it's hard out there, but you certainly can't deny that Donald Trump doesn't think it's stupid. At the very minimum, he thinks it's useful at the very minimum. And he's calling a whole lot of attention to it. And it's probably for a reason. Don't you think? In one way or another, Donald Trump has already been negotiating an end to this problem. And it's true that nothing can stop what is coming. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon. 
out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!